welcome to another episode of the Covenant Community Kids Podcast. I'm Evie Jones. I am Jackie Jones, and our guest today is Timothy Roach. Hi. Hello. Thanks for coming Hi. on. Hey, yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Oh, thanks. So. Oh, thanks so much. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I've been listening to a lot of episodes. I mean, I, I was listening to it before, um, and, um, you know, was listening to a lot of episodes again this week, re, you know, re-listening to stuff. I just think it's a really interesting and worthwhile documentation of uh, what it's like to grow up in a group uh, like we all did. Um, so I wanted to be part of documenting that, you know, adding my experience to the to the pile. I guess. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really so um, excited to have your experience added to it. I think it is like the more people we have on, the it's kind of like a puzzle, like the more clear mm-hmm. it's becoming. And it, yeah, it's really fun to see happen. Yeah, I, I definitely have had uh, totally, it, it, you know, for me, the added perspective of hearing from folks like Jules and just everybody, the, the Michler kids and everybody that's been on here has really been interesting and mm-hmm. added a lot of dimension and depth to my understanding of what what happened what's happening now yeah what was all of that yeah yeah man i know you had mentioned at one point that you were surprised to find out that it was still going on very much so yes that's fascinating i yeah well so my experience with it was you know i'm i'm the youngest of six kids of of jerry and marla rouch and jerry of course is one of the four uh, sort of founders of, of the community and um I came at the tail end uh, of perhaps, you know, at least our version of the community and, uh, and certainly of the birth order in my family. Um, but so, you know, I was born in 1983 and I, it, it's funny, I'm often pretty clear on what year things in my life happened. Although I guess when I think about it, probably that's only true of, let's say from 15 onward. Hmm. So I don't really remember exactly when and how we left the community. I actually do remember the day that it had like the dinner oh, where wow. my dad came home and was like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> and my mom was pretty upset about mm-hmm. it. I think uh, reasonably so as the, as he was the breadwinner for the family. I, I get it. Right. But he, he was at, at the time at that, at that dinner, he was saying like, Hey, you know, I really have some strong objections to kind of what's going on right now. And I need to uh, get out of this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, and then, I probably looking looking back and and getting a clearer picture now with contemporaneous news reports and you know trans I was just reading a transcript of a 1971 community meeting the other day oh. it's things I never thought I would right. be um, I, I'm right. guessing it was probably 1990 or 91 so I was only seven or eight years old uh, when we left um, and then there was like a there was a weird period I remember where we started going to mass in different places hmm. although I still associated with the community because I think it was sort of the same priest. So, and then eventually there was some short lived attempt by my dad, I think to start another branch of the community or something. And I remember going to masses in the basement of St. Francis for okay. maybe a grand total of a month or two before they, he was like, ah, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. Um, and uh, cause I mean, I don't even know what the reason why that ended was as well other than the i mean i can say there were probably only ever like three or four families with us there (laughs) so maybe we just to draw i don't know (laughs) but um but he uh we did leave and you know um 
I just assumed that it was sort of over in a way. Um, and I, as a kid, I didn't really understand his role. I didn't yeah. understand. I knew that he was a uh, large part of it and that it was his job. Um, but, uh, you know, so we left. Christ the King still existed. Pine Hill still existed. Mm-hmm. Um, Huron Valley still existed. Gabriel Richard, which I think may have existed before. before I think it did, uh, yeah. Yeah. Community. yeah. Yeah. Still exists now. So, so a lot of the kind of like organisms that I associated with the community still existed. I just thought, you know, the thing that it was, was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, my, my life moved on. We started going to St. Francis of Assisi and I went to school there. I actually had, had gone to public school and elementary school. And then um, we moved only, you know, what, 1997, we moved away from Michigan altogether mm-hmm. to yeah. Connecticut. And all of the, we had stayed in touch and, in, you know, our close friendships in the community, the families, there were people that we were close with um, that we still saw. And then you moved to Connecticut and it's like, boom. And at the same time, you know, the lights are off. It's all gone. Yeah. Like all of the family connections. No, no one in Connecticut knew what Pine Hills was, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was like over, over. And it was never, you know, other than in our family, when we would talk about it occasionally, and we didn't even talk about it that much necessarily. Wow. Um, it just kind of never came up. No one I knew was in it. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, still being in Ann Arbor after the fact. Now, my parents did eventually move back to Ann Arbor and we recontinued the old friendships. But, um, you know, at that point, that would be like 2002. Okay. Um, the whole thing was so far in the review that, I don't know, it just, again, really wasn't a part of the conversations. And then uh, I was in grad school. My wife was in grad school, actually, at University of Pennsylvania. And a friend of a friend uh, showed up at a party and... I was like, oh, I know you. <laughs> and we, we talked about it. And I think it was either shortly before that or shortly after that that I found the Facebook group okay. uh, that John Flaherty had started. Yeah. And um, and then eventually that your, your podcast. And then all of that was just this this sort of waterfall of like finding the, the Facebook page and finding all the scripty documents. And yeah. I'm somebody that's always been kind of just fascinated with uh, sorry to throw these terms around. <laughs> But con men and cults, uh-huh. I, I feel yeah. like they're related, related yeah, that's okay. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, and and then, <laughs> so to have a connection to one of these things and um, and then go find the documents and find like, oh, dad wasn't just like a part of it. He like started it like yeah. it made it a lot more interesting. And definitely, totally. like I said, I mean, I was literally, you know, staying up late the other night reading um, this 1970 meeting they had where they uh sort of excommunicated somebody from the group for the first time it was really interesting to me to see to see that yeah that is documented and think about that yeah that's wild that you said there's a transcript of the meeting yeah it was just posted on on the facebook group it's a um i think they have these tapes at the uh, bentley archive at u of m and i guess uh somebody probably john flaherty (laughs) had transcribed uh bless him the, yeah, seriously, right. he's doing the yeah. good work. <laughs> the Lord's work, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. so yeah, it's and then and then you know, it, it's weird because there was a growing sense of cynicism about the community in my house growing up mm. over the mm-hmm. years, um, and and some folks involved with it, and um, 
uh, I, I want to be careful about what I say because, you know, it's all so far in the past that I don't really remember who said what. Sure. And I don't really remember who just, but I, I know that, you know, um, for instance, some of the excesses of Pine Hills uh, were discussed in my house as kind of like, wow, that's kind of over the top and crazy by the kids at least. Yeah. And in the presence of my parents and whether my parents either said like, yeah, that's a little over the top. That's a little excessive. Or they just said, or they just, you know, felt embarrassed and didn't say much of anything. I don't really recall. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that some of my dad's connections to at least one of the other um, uh, founders, I think became, let's say strained or something Mm -hmm. because this particular person went from being, the godfather of one of my sisters to somebody that I, you know, really don't have any memories of. Mm. Um, so I, I just, to me, that's pretty striking for right. somebody to be that close yeah. in your Absolutely. life. And then by the time your youngest son is eight, like, it's just like, who is that person? Again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so I, you know, um, so it just kind of all was so far in the rearview mirror. I just thought it was, it was over. And then to hear interviews where somebody's like, in 2013, 14, I had a really traumatic experience yeah. with being, you know, kind of kicked out of the group because my uh, husband was not a member of it. And, you know, yeah. it's things like that that I just go, wow, it still exists. It's still operating and still has kind of a lot of the flaws it did. And, um, and it's kind of striking. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it is really amazing that there's that archive available of all of these documents of transcripts and and it's you know I guess I use the word overwhelming because every time one is posted to the Facebook group I'm like I want to read this but I never can (laughs) I'm like the I think the podcast is my version of that I'm like I can handle one story at a time (laughs) one narrative (laughs) where it's like who knows how much we're getting wrong we're just trying (laughs) you know Um, but it is, I think really important that there is all that out there too. And there was like something posted on there this week that made me so mad. Um, that just kind of like, I don't know, rekindled my, my feeling like it's so important to tell these stories. Um, which was, yeah, like a book published in 2013 by Mike Shaughnessy, who I've talked about my interactions with him on this podcast. Um, And he wrote a supposedly fictitious book about the accusations against Mike Keating. Um, And it was like, he used the same name. He used the same city. He used the same everything, but it was supposed to be like this righteous man who was wrongly accused of these things when in reality, like, he groomed and molested this young girl. Like it, it just, the fact that that was published in 2013 blew my mind. And I buy servants of the word. <laughs> like, yeah. I think yeah. at that point yeah. I was like, mm, I, okay. That was my last, that was my last like holding on to maybe I should have some respect for this group. I, yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's all there, but the, it's the hard. Denial is strong. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely a lot of damage being done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did any of your siblings stay in the group or how did that, I mean, I guess you said your whole family kind of left, right? But they would have been older at that time. Yeah. So um, at the time that we left the group, um, 
I believe my oldest brother was in college if it was 1991 and that might've been it. But the other, the you know, they're all going off to college pretty fast. And then, like I said, fast forward six years basically. And we're, we're just gone from Ann Arbor altogether. Um, and, um, uh, for a kind of a brief period of time, five years, but, but everybody, everybody moved on. I, um, uh, again, again, you know, cautiously I'll, I'll try to share some of, you know, what I understand about their experience, but I, I, you know, um, I think basically there is, um, one sibling in my family who, um, um, would kind of, you would say, I don't think is a member of, of a community like this necessarily, Mm -hmm. but is, is, is living in a way that reflects very much, uh, the kind of what we grew up with in a a large part. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hopefully the, hopefully the best parts of it, um, you know, (laughs) and yeah, I know, (laughs) I think they're, they're a very good and, and strong family in a lot of ways. And I really don't mean to denigrate them by saying it, by saying that, I think, um, uh, they've embraced hopefully mostly the better parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and their kids go to, uh, Pine Hills oh, okay. every summer. And in fact, now I don't know whether it's just that she's, that they're old enough now, but now another sibling is apparently also sending their kids or at least starting the summer to, to Pine Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, also I seem to understand Pine Hills is fairly different from what it was 20, 30 years ago. That's so, what I've heard. I mean, I hope yeah. that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. it was, Pretty toxic when I was there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. problematic, perhaps at least. I don't, yeah, probably toxic too. But, yeah, um, yeah, um, but that's kind of it. I, 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 I'm always, I always kind of interested in like the rate at which the retention rate, shall we mm. say, of families in the community. And I don't really know outside of like the families that we're closest to, and it's it's all pretty anecdotal and small sample size. Like, what's the rate at which kids hang on to, you know, any kind of faith, Christian faith, Catholic faith, the sort of community Mm -hmm. lens thing. But in my family, it's extremely low. Uh, You know, I'd say the majority are, don't consider themselves Christian Catholic at all. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe at least half would probably not even identify as religious. So Mm -hmm. um, considering you're the founder of that, it's, it's pretty low. Um, But, you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be really interesting to see the the data on that. <laughs> like who mm-hmm. who stayed, yeah. who left. Yeah, does it have to do with birth order or involvement of the parents? Or yeah, 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 yeah. I, it would be an interesting statistical right? analysis. We'll probably never get. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say in my in my family, you know, I. I I kind of never believed any of it mm-hmm. for the most part. That's my, that's my memory. And I don't know if it's revisionist history, but I kind of have fairly clear memories as a kid of, first of all, reading like Greek mythology and native American mythology and going, Oh, a creation story that feels very similar. Oh, a water based damnation story. Oh, a, you know, all of these parallels that you start to go, oh, okay. You start to put in context, all the biblical stories and go, okay this is another version. These feel the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then very specifically, the one thing we are allowed to bring to church every week was the, the picture Bible, mm-hmm. which is a comic book version mm-hmm. of the Bible. And I feel like I have a pretty clear memory of sitting in church, looking at the Bible, seeing these, you know, chariots of fire and angels and people being raised from the dead in like 
a comic book and looking up and seeing, you know, people speaking in tongues and speaking, prophesizing, which honestly, a lot of times, again, to a kid, like whether this is actually theologically accurate or not, comes across as speaking from the mouth of God, because that was often the, you know, totally. tone that was often the the POV of the speaker was like, hey, this is a this is God speaking through me. Mm-hmm. And all of that kind of, to me as a kid, paired with the picture Bible was like, oh, this is all fantasy. Mm. And um, it was actually in middle school, I remember crying, sitting at St. Francis Mass and crying over the, like the, the family in the pew in front of us was actually another former community family and realizing, oh, they all, my perception was, and, and of people in general, like, oh, they all, they all believe this. Oh, they wow. all, like, I'm just not, a part, like I have, wow, oh. what am I missing that I just totally, you know, oh, wow. never, they really, all of this is real to them. Yeah. And, wow. you know, it was, so it was a weird thing. Um, and then I also just think about the version of it that we were getting at home, which was very cerebral because mm-hmm. my dad is very like, he's kind of a cerebral guy, at least religiously. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I remember him like plucking a hair off his head and being like, most people think of time as linear, but God (laughs) exists in circuit. And then he like bent the hair around and I was just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, you know, I, God is eternal, like a circle. And I, it just didn't like that was his best attempt to try to make like a kid get his version of religion. And I just, yeah. you know, among other things. And I, and then we would go over to our friends, the Anderberg's house and Mrs. Anderberg would be strumming on a guitar and have a grand old time. And mm-hmm. like just the look of joy on her face all the time in relation mm. to her religion. And I just didn't see that in my home. Mm. I did not mm. see joy and religion closely matched. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. saw like, you know, rules and religion yeah. closely matched. And it just did not as a kid, communicate or translate so yeah that's do you think that had anything to do with the fact that he was a leader like were you around mostly community leaders because i do wonder about the difference in the community experience of like the authority figures versus like the followers or the just the general members i don't know if you have any perspectives on that yeah i mean i was in his house right so he was my main right um and then and I think him being one of the leaders had a lot to do with, with his version of it, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you listen to Ralph Martin. I, he's another one where, like, today on a run, I was I listened to, like, an hour and a half of Ralph Martin, which I can't <laughs> believe I was doing. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's like, you know, him and Stephen Clark, I, I don't really – Jim Cavanaugh was actually, weirdly, probably the one of the four that we were maybe closest to. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but, of course, he they moved away, I think, to Florida – shortly before the split or something or in a close approximation to it. Um, But I like Stephen Clark. I don't even have a mental picture of his face. Ralph Martin, I do, but I don't know if that's just because he's reproduced it in printed format for the world to see so many times. Mm -hmm. So many times. Right. (laughs) Um, So we really weren't close with the other uh, founding families at, at for the period of my childhood that I remember. And I, I don't know what happened there. We, um, there's a weird wrinkle here too, where, uh, my family actually lived in Belgium for hmm. most of the seventies and early eighties. So oh, wow. four of my six, four, four of the six kids were actually born in Belgium. Oh, wow. Um, because my dad was working with Cardinal Sunans to kind of like spread this stuff internationally. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
So we were gone uh, at that time. And what my dad had said at the time, and I think it says now is basically like, while I was gone, things were taken in, in a direction that I didn't entirely agree with oh, when I okay. came back. The horse was kind of out of the barn. I tried to rein it in, but yeah. some of the more, I don't know, the things that I recall from a kid, them like kind of identifying as like, hey, that was a little, that's a little wacky. Why are we doing that? Or why is that a thing? It was like poly buckets full of water in the garage <laughs> preparing for end times mm-hmm. and rules about how often to kiss your wife on the cheek and Both. stuff about men shouldn't wear pink because it was dangerously uh, dangerously feminizing, which is a phrase I love. Dangerously, ooh, I <laughs> kind of like that. Feminine. I'm gonna put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> um, <laughs> it makes me feel kind of powerful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, my my feeling is there. You know, it was sort of by design that the whole thing was flawed. I don't really mm-hmm. I, when I hear like Ralph Martin or frankly my dad say like, ah, you know, things that are sort of like. There was a lot of good, but then there were some stuff that was, I go, well, look, this was a group that was founded on, hey, let these 24, 25-year-old unmarried men tell everybody how to live their lives mm-hmm. in a fairly uh, in a fairly uh, microscopic type kind of way. And, um, you know, and, and some of their specific stuff around, you know, um, g- gender and um, uh, sexuality was in my mind, pretty damaging and pretty uh, dangerous stuff that, you know, caused a lot of harm. And I just don't, I don't think that's like incidental to the group. I think that's sort of at the core, frankly. Totally. And um, Mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't know, but, but, you know, there, there were certainly colorful flourishes that were added uh, or, you know, became a part of it over time. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's a really interesting thing about this, group like i know the word cult has been thrown around a lot with what this was and i can't tell if it makes it more dangerous i think it does in my opinion that there is not just one leader there are several and then like it kind of speaks to the fact that your dad left and was like whoa where did this got out of hand what is this direction we're going in but yeah i think that that is a reason why people are like oh it's not a cult like there's not like one person but I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if you want to speak at all to that. Yeah. I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy that um, yeah. way of thinking about it. I, and I, and I also, I get why calling it a cult is um, like inflammatory for a lot of people. I think I would just say like, Hey man, there could be cults around. Like we talk about like cult films because totally. people are really into it as yeah. a group. So like, let's take a little bit of the vinegar out of that word and just acknowledge mm-hmm. that it means certain things and that frankly, I do think that that group fills, you know, a lot of what people normally think of as a cult. The, the Ottenweiler report um, identifies the Catholic church as having three criteria for meeting for, for you to be turned to cult. And one of them is, and they said, Hey, you guys meet two out of these three. One was two controlling of people's lives. Check. Absolutely. They definitely mm-hmm. were two controlling people's lives. Um, encouraging people to separate from their connections outside of the group. Absolutely. They did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Third one, they said, our third criteria that you don't meet is you don't have a single charismatic leader, which I always felt was a, a sneak diss at, mm-hmm. at the four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not charismatic and there's not one of you. Um, but, you know, look, that's, that's the Catholic Church's definition. And I just don't, I don't think it has to be the definition. Right. 
Um, and, um, I, um, just got done directing a TV show about cults and that does not make me an expert on cults, but it does mean I've, it makes you more uh, of an expert than I am. So we'll take it. (laughs) Done more research. (laughs) Yeah. I've definitely looked at cults a little closely this year. And, um, um, I would say it's common for cults to have a figurehead, but it's also common for cults to have, um, more than one person really responsible for running it and mm. including the toxic, toxic stuff, including, you know, it's not, it's not like there's one guy pulling the wool's wool over everyone else's eyes. When you look at Jim Jones and the, the right. people's temple down in Vienna, or, um, frankly, even, even Charles Manson and his cult or, um, the Moonies, like it's, there's usually, a a group, you know, or Heaven's Gate. Uh, we mm-hmm. think of Marshall Applewhite because when they when they committed suicide in 1997 to join Halle Bopp, um, he was the leader at that time, but he started the group with his companion Doe, and she died in the 80s. Mm. And it was very much a group they ran together and that there were members within the group that were critical to their approach to stuff. So I just, I just, the idea that you got to have one guy calling all the shots, I just don't think that's consistent with the way a lot of cults end up looking. And it's, it's a real, if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck situation <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, okay, you had a couple of leaders. Okay. They weren't that charismatic. Okay. You know, um, I don't know. Um, mm. I just, I, I think it still did the controlling stuff. It did a lot of, you know, even beyond that stuff, it did a lot of the standard cult stuff of like, hey, bring us your troubles. Yeah. Tell us what's wrong with you. Okay, good. Yeah. Now we're going to use that yep. <laughs> to make you feel like you need us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to put you in these groups where you're dependent. Now you're increasingly dependent on us for your where you live, for your social circle, for the money that you get in your pocket. So now my dad included, you know, right. I mean, I don't know if he would have left earlier if, you know, uh, he if it wasn't also his job. Um, but it did all of these things that cults do to control you and give you, you know, to, and bring you in slowly. This, this stuff they did too, Mm -hmm. where they were like, Hey, here's, here's all of our stuff. Here's everything we believe. Don't tell people, please (laughs) here, tell them, you know, there was, there was, you know, again, documents I went back and read and I don't know exactly who wrote them, but stuff from the late seventies and early eighties where they're going like, Hey, we're a bulwark against these other non-Christian Christians and non-Christian Catholics. Mm-hmm. We're the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, when you work on proselytizing to those people, these are the you know. Here's kind of bring them in with this, and then as they get closer, they learn this, and then basically by the time that you know, it's only until they become full members and have really been embedded in the group, then we can really tell them what we're all about and really all the rules and all the stuff. And that's just classic cult stuff yeah. because if you felt you know. <laughs> If you if you didn't need to manipulate people, you would just tell them what you're about. Yeah, right. You wouldn't be like, "Hey, join us for a couple of years, and then we'll slowly reveal ourselves." Yeah, because it would you give know, you all purpose. of it at once. You're not going to want anything to do with it, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just real. It's real classical stuff. Yeah, frankly, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I, and I think too, like people have this perception of cults as like, well, it's got to end in a mass suicide to be a cult, or you got to. Yeah, you got to walk around in weird robes or, you know, mind control or this, that, the other thing. Or, you know, occults only happen to those people over there, not smart, educated, normal humans like us. Again, if you look at cults, you know, each of them has their specific groups often that they're drawing on as their core. Like, this is who we 
are you know kind of pulling in um but it again if you look at the vast expanse of cults like they pull in people from all walks of life at all levels of education and all economic backgrounds and it's just about finding one that has the appeal to a given group and and using it to to pull people in so yeah and i think also it's an interesting wrinkle for me there was again i really don't want to compare them to charles manson right but... i hear that <laughs> let me go ahead and do that no but like reading about Charles Manson and it was like, uh, you know, gets released from prison, goes up to Berkeley and it's the summer of 1967. And he's walking around in this college town, seeing all these religious gurus and, um, uh, you know, the black Panthers and all these different groups out there, like spreading their message and trying to win supporters. And I was like, 1967, a college town. Wow. Disaffected you. Sounds familiar. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) Ann Arbor, 1967, disaffected you. And they were, they were, you know, it it was a movement at the time, right? Like, like, uh, again, you look at the history of of the United States and there's often these sort of like patterns um, to, to religious experience, um, whether it be like the spiritualism stuff that happened in, what was that, like the early 1900s or something or, and then this like, honestly, national cult movement that happened basically the sixties seventies and started to kind of peter out in the eighties, but it was kind of everywhere is that people looking for, I want to be a part of a group. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, part of one of the early generations who is really like moving away from home for the first time, even if it's like, Hey, I'm not in Iowa anymore. At least back then that was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm away from my parents and now I need a new support network. Yeah. um, And, you know, obviously a lot of social unrest in a lot of ways and, people were looking for answers. And if you walked up and said, I have them. Uh, That's comforting. Yeah, it's comforting. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so. absolutely. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I think it um, it's interesting to me that there's, like you said, often this idea that like the leader is also kind of, the leader of a call is often kind of a con man or someone who's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll trick all these people. But often they're also just looking for answers and feel like they found it. (laughs) Like they really believe what they're saying. And that's what makes it so convincing is because you can't find the hole in it where you're like, Oh, you're actually just trying to get my money because they really think this is what's working. And I definitely see that in, you know, the word of God and the sort of the spirit is I don't necessarily think that anyone well, most of them anyway, there's some real creeps, but I don't think most of them were like sitting around thinking, how can we get these people to do what we want? You know, they're, they are trying yeah. to lead people in a life that they think is better and like more righteous yeah. and more holy. And it just unfortunately also sets up a very, like you said, toxic power structure where you, you do yeah. end up really hurting people. Yeah. And a prime environment for people who do have nefarious intentions to get in there. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, it's, it's not as, it's not the conscious. I know what I'm, I know what I'm shoveling is bullshit. It's, yeah. You know, hey, this is really good bullshit over here. You want some? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I think that to the extent that like, I, I really don't talk to my dad about this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like um, for me, it was kind of a late in life revelation. Well, Hey, look, I'm only 39. I'm not really late in life by any terms, but like, you know, by the time I really got a picture of 
what this was all about and find out, you know, it's not, it's not just like memories. It's hey, contemporaneous news reports. It's your own words. Yeah. It's, you know, like a letter written by my dad, signed by my dad. And I think Bruce Yoakum. And in the letter, it says, it's like to area church leaders at the time that the split was happening at the investigations was happening. And there's a sentence that says almost these exact words. It was like, uh, the only people calling this a cult are people who study cults and dysfunctional families, which I just think is like a flashing red. Like, do you see what you yeah. just wrote on that paper? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. Who else should be evaluating these who things? Who else is qualified um, to say so, that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 you know, by the time of my life where I discovered all this stuff, in a sense, um, I saw my, see my parents infrequently enough that I just, you know, once or twice a year, often uh, for three, four days at a time, usually that I'm really not looking for confrontation. And I really, right. there's no, I don't see a benefit in having the conversation yeah. with him and, or my mom. And I just, you know. Okay. You know, and, and, um, I'd rather focus on what we <laughs> common ground mm -hmm, and yeah, we have plenty absolutely. of that. And, um, I think there's a lot about what that group was and what that translated into as my childhood and as my way of relating with my dad, with this, this concealment that became very habitual from, a, from childhood mm -hmm. that I think is still active in our relationship where it's like, okay, you're going to have a life that you live and then you're going to have an edited version you share with your family slash, especially your parents, slash, especially your dad. Mm, yeah. And you're going to be very guarded about what you reveal uh, about what you think about things or the stresses you're going through or, uh, you know, a lot of things uh, that you go, okay, this is all like, this is over here for the closet of stuff that doesn't get shared. And then this is the, we'll actually talk about this. And as you have kids and all that, it gets easier. Okay. Let's all look at the cute grandchild. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point, that's kind of where I'll, you know, leave my relationship with him for the most part, unless, you know, I don't know, but like, I just don't, again, like I don't, I, it's very interesting to me to go back and look at it. And as a, as an artist, as a filmmaker, I think like, is there a way for me to process all this into something? Yeah. Um, but I just don't, I don't, I'm not sure what value there would be in, in having those conversations at this point. I'm unclear about it. Yeah. And like, like you said, you're kind of just starting to really process and learn all of it anyway. Like, and I'm sure, like you said, it's a different and deeper level for you to be seeing your own dad's words in it. Like a lot of us are like, well, our parents were part of this, but for it to be like things written by your parents is I'm sure much harder to kind of have that conversation with them without it getting like really unnecessarily personal and, and causing, you know, like you said, conflict that just, it doesn't need to be there. I think there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, just agreeing not to talk about certain things for the sake of getting good, along. Good old Midwestern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had one, one Christmas where that, where that truce was not held. I was home and he said, Hey, let's go have brunch together. Okay, cool. Well, it turns out the brunch seemed like the main point of the brunch was so that he could have a conversation with me about whether and or why I supported gay marriage. Oh, and wow. it was a real, 
I, I was like really kind of, you know, again, it's like you're home for narrow window of time. This is really not, this is how we want to spend it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and that's one for me. That's like, boy, boy, do I, you know, really don't agree with opposing it because, you know, um, I, I, I married my woman at my, my, my wife. <laughs> Yikes. Hey, Steve Clark. I've been talking about um, this a little too long. My, <laughs> my, my wife is, is black. And around the same time that her and I were moving towards getting married, the, that was about the exact same time that the country was going like, Hey, maybe gay people should be able to get married. Like mm. on a, in a, you know, to where we finally did. And I couldn't help but see the signs against um, the things that people were saying against gay marriage. Um, and then you go back 50 years and look, and it was like literally some of the exact same phrases or sentences or, you know, points. And you just move a few words around for like opposition of interracial marriage. And I was just like, wow. Okay. You know, and it just, for me has made it very personal, Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I don't, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that I would support it. Uh, I think I would definitely support it anyway, but like the level of, just like anger and ire I feel towards people who do oppose it. Um, I think is very much related to feeling like you are, you are today's version of the folks that wanted 50 years ago to get between my wife and I, yeah, and I'm just absolutely have no patience for this. Um, so I, I said something about hoping that Christ the King would burn to the ground during that, during, <laughs> during that brunch. So I don't think we've ever talked about it since. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Just leave that <laughs> hanging out there. And yeah. 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 <laughs> so, want to go you know. there? All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See how emotional I can get about it? And you want to do yeah. that again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. These conversations um, are so tough to have. They are. Yeah. yeah. And I think like if they are going to happen, it should be uh, agreed on first, right? Not totally. like a sneak attack. Not and, blindsided. Um, yeah. And like when yeah. both people are ready to actually talk about it and there should be like an out yeah. button. <laughs> like, okay, I'm getting too worked up. We can't do this anymore. A safe word. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, it was funny too, because there was a community family, like a table away from us. Totally. Randomly, quote unquote, except for that we were in Ipsy. I mean, come on. Oh, but. okay. Yep. <laughs> They're at, we're everywhere. Was it yeah. like Sunday, yeah. 12 o'clock? This <laughs> is, you know. <laughs> Uh, Saturday, 10 a.m. <laughs> yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, but yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, uh, you know, I can't help but then go back and, and read things like, um, I found a document where they were saying, uh, fathers, uh, should not really interact with their kids mm-hmm. except for, um, the boys. I, I, I'm very much, um, remembering this, so I don't know about the hundred percent the accuracy, but basically that men should really only concern themselves with their children. If they are boys between the ages of, I think it was like two and five or two and six. And outside of that, whether they're a girl or they're just not a boy of that particular age, you basically have better things to do. Go ahead and do that. And if your wife is sick or, uh, you know, if she's indisposed in some way and can't discharge her quote unquote wifely duties, basically, mm-hmm the neighbor wives should show up to make dinner and feed the babies and all that stuff. Change the diapers. Yeah. And, and then also with that, um, that this idea that it was more important to represent quote unquote truth 
uh, like God's truth, basically, to your children, then to and your family as a whole, then to represent love to them. Mm. And that is stuff that, like, I go back and read that, and I think about my childhood, and I just end up going like, "Does this explain some things?" Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, how much? Some of that stuff, I just also wonder, like, you know, first of all, Steve Clark, like, come on, this is a guy who never was married, and let's be honest, if we understand kind of who he was, like how many close female friendships did he even have? Mm-hmm. Then he writes man, woman in Christ. And it's like, great. Tell us about women. Yeah. Steve. yeah. Um, you know, and then, and, and I just, and I just, um, but I wondered like, to what extent were they creating these rules as a way of excusing their own tendencies totally, mm-hmm. and their own like, Hey, you know what? I don't really want to do the laundry or make the dinners. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be doing important stuff like yeah. theology over mm-hmm. here. Um, <laughs> and I just wonder like, yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like, like stuff written by young twenties men, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Actually, this is how it should be. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I just, um, I, 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 I think it's pretty easy to see how that stuff is damaging for women. Yeah. And, but I think it's also damaging for men or boys raised in the group mm-hmm. because, hey, first of all, that like your dad being encouraged to be distant in any level is a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to represent quote unquote truth to you over love, I just think that love is the primary directive. I mean, frankly, even whatever, I'm not a Christian, but it sure seems like Jesus Christ was pretty much like love is my main message. Yes. Um, <laughs> But that aside, as a human, I go like, I just think, and as a father and as a husband, I just think like love is your, representing love to your family is your one thing you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And everything else is actually secondary. Um, uh, But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to read that stuff and not go like, uh, you know, is this brunch that we had that was really bad and stressful uh, is this a product of that same thinking that it's more important for me to represent truth to you than to represent love? Right. Cause it sure feels like it's of a piece with that, with that thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And I wonder if some people would define that as love. Like, I think I mentioned this once totally. in another episode where it's like, it seems like we have different definitions of what it means to love somebody. Yeah. Like, to me, yep. it's 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 finding out how that person wants to be loved and feels love and providing that for them and not pushing some agenda that you think is the best way to be loved or to, you know, feel love. It's yeah, just, and I understand that, like, what you're saying, Jackie, to them, it's like, well, I'm protecting you from an eternity of torture and hell and fire and whatever. Right. Um so, I mean, sure, from, <laughs> if that's what you believe, then yes, it is loving to try to protect me from that. But there's part of me, too, that's like, even if that's the goal, would this be the best way to go about it? Like, kind of pointing out all the things you disagree with and being really like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I just think even if that were the case, and I think some people do go about it differently, you know, but... I don't know. I just, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. it doesn't feel like love when it's happening. I'll tell you that much. Mm. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
and then I, I, you know, again, it's like, um, my dad would probably say now, and certainly when I was a kid at times would say things along the lines of like, Hey, some people took this a little far. And again, my, as an adult going back and reading things and having a different perspective that I did when I was seven, uh, is like, Hey man, it's kind of like by design that this stuff was in there. Um, uh, uh, but I, I just, I feel bad. Uh, you know, it's not, not quote unquote my fault, but I just feel bad about the damage that was done with all this stuff. And I just think you're setting up, you, you go ahead and hand these ideas and hand these ways of appro- approaching things to a group of humans mm-hmm. and many of them untrained in the art of, you know, counseling another person uh, and certainly coming at it with these, you know, these belief systems like, Hey, we got to exercise demons from you. If you have neurological problems, right. if you have addiction issues, if you have trauma of any kind, if you are just not gender conforming, this is now a demon we have to cast out. And I, I just, you know, it's like things that again, you know, I remember over the years, my dad at various times saying like, Oh yeah, it was around for, I've seen a lot of exorcisms. I've been present for a lot. Of, and I, as a kid, you're like, Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And again, like <laughs> never really like believing myself, but kind of going, Oh, I wonder what that was mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And then through your podcast and through documentation online going like, Ooh, I get what these exorcisms were. They were extremely ill-informed attempts to cure people of things they were never going to cure them of. And really you're just multiplying their trauma. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's no longer like a ha ha ha. That's curious and interesting. It's like, Oh, that's, that's a lot of damage you did actually. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but I don't know. None of us are perfect, but right. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> Just, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. It's a big concept to tell a kid about like, I don't know. I, I heard a lot about demons growing up and it's just interesting hearing from so many people who were raised in it, like from day one or from very young ages, hearing that like demons are a reality and that's, that's like a thing that you have to contend with. And I know that spiritual warfare was a, a big term that was thrown around a lot and yeah that's just a lot for a kid to hear even if you don't process it right away like i know as i've grown up i've been like oh that had a huge impact on me (laughs) growing up like hearing about exorcisms and demons from a very young age yeah 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 um it's all pretty it's all pretty odd uh and i i just you know, I feel bad that it still exists. Um, I, I, I guess I knew that Christian groups were out there doing similar things and it's too bad that there's still, uh, such a significant remnant of this one doing, you know, I really don't, I really don't know what, yeah. but like through your podcast, hearing of, of a few incidents at least where things are pretty out of hand and, um, that's unfortunate. So, and, and certainly I'm guessing a lot of the, uh, homophobia and transphobia and whatever is fairly unchanged. Um, it's, it's interesting the extent to which it kind of wasn't even really a part of what they were thinking about at the time. Yeah. This is another thing that like going back and, and reading documentation from like their own words and whatever is really was revealing to me. I thought of it as like a Christian group that we were a part yeah. of. And then I go back and I read the documentation and the things that they were focused on 
And again and again, I see focus on, hey, we are the real Christians. The other Christians are not, including the other Catholics are not. We're a quote unquote bulwark, bulwark, bulwark. And you can only trust us. And you fast forward to today and the podcast I was listening to today, it was basically Ralph Martin being like, hey, Pope Francis, like, mm, he is the Pope, but, you know. Making some shady calls. Not, they're, <laughs> they're not that crazy. And yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I, and, and, um, and, and so it, it, it's like, it's like this focus on us, us, lead, listen to us. Okay. Well, what are you telling us? You are not, there is not a consistent message about feeding the poor and clothing, you know, feeding the hungry and clothing the poor. This, if they did that, I don't really actually remember a significant amount of right. that. Um, I think they did a significant amount of like attempting to minister to people. Although again, that was these excommunications, et cetera, that were, you know, probably actually doing more harm than good. And then, um, you know, and then it was all about like this sort of 1950s gender conformity stuff and being against abortion. And, you know, they didn't even, I don't think they even thought they needed to be against gay people because I think right. the culture was enough on their side that they were like, yeah, don't worry about that. To where you go back and see documents that say like, Hey, these are the big things we're worried about. And like Islam weirdly showed up on, on one list. I saw it was like secularism and um, feminism obviously was a big mm-hmm. <laughs> concern for them. And then like Islam weirdly showed up at least in, in one place that I saw as like mm-hmm. one of their four or five main issues. Um, but it was just interesting as an adult, to think, okay, I thought of this as a Christian group, and to me, Christians do X, Y, and Z, and go back and look and go, none of the good stuff I associate with being Christian is really emphasized here. I don't mm-hmm. see a lot about love. In fact, I see here love is taking a backseat yeah. to some other stuff, and um, it's all pretty, I don't know, it's kind of revealing to me, and it doesn't really make it feel um, like I just don't get what what they did that was good other than giving people a place to go and be together with other people. I I guess that's a value. But again, if what they're gathering for is a damaging message, I'm just going again, you could get together with other people and like play Frisbee golf and Mm -hmm, it might be a better better situation. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's true. And I, like, I know, um, at least in my experience, service was really emphasized, but mostly within the community, like, serving other members mm-hmm. or serving at a prayer meeting yeah. or serving, you know, oh, yeah. for like, we would even go caroling around the neighborhood to all the community houses, <laughs> you know, like not yeah. every house. Yeah. Um, right. And when we did do like an mission point. trips and stuff, it was like, I don't know how I feel about it now. It was very like humanitourism, you know, where like, sure. I got a lot out of it as like a 15 year old white girl, middle-class family going to Mexico and learning about these things, but like at whose expense, you know, like, I don't know that it was actually that great for the children who were introduced to a new set of people who loved them and spent all this time with them for a week straight and then left, like left. Ah, <laughs> I don't know about that. And, yeah. and- is that the best use of the resources involved? Right, um, right. Yeah. Et cetera. So, yeah. 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 What do you think about, um, like, raising your own kids? Is it, like, 
Is there anything that you feel you learned you do or don't want to do <laughs> from kind of revisiting <laughs> all of this? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, look on the, on the, on the, like the absence of it and the challenge, the challenge of that, like the absence of religion, mm -hmm. um, it does make you go like, uh, okay. Like when I was a kid, I went to church every week and got told, taught about morality. Now that was a pretty mixed bag, the version of morality that I was getting, but like, I don't have like an organized time to have my kids sit, sit and be quiet for mm -hmm. a while and sit and be taught like, Hey, this is how to behave. Now, obviously, you hope you just kind of roll that kind of like teaching into life in a broader way. Um, but again, religion just gives this easy package. Like, here's the package. Unwrap it. And this will be. And unfortunately, there's often a lot of things included in that package that you just may not want to pass mm -hmm. on. So that's why I'm very glad that I am not a part of it. But it, it it's an absence that like you don't really think about until you have kids and then you go. And, and then you have trouble with the kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do I get this kid to respect me and listen to me? Yeah. Hitting me and I can't get him to stop. And <laughs> I don't want to hit him. So, you know, uh, you know, I was raised with spanking and that was, you know, biblically based as far as my parents were concerned, mm -hmm. but it's not for me. Um, so, so there's those challenges. Um, what was good about it is like, yes, having, having a community, having like uh, a group, of other families going through similar stages of your life. And I would say that we've actually done very good at replacing that. And we have a lot of other, uh, frankly, probably too many friends with families. Oh. And it's increasingly hard to go like, when do I have time for my friends that don't have families? Um, so we, so, you know, that, and um, yeah, that's kind of it. Like there's nothing else I miss about it. I don't really miss going to mass. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't, yeah. So, um, but then I did find myself like we had trouble with our son recently um, and we punished him. One of our go-to punishments sometimes is like, you know, get a bedtime story. And I actually did end up reading him a story and it was the prodigal son. Oh, wow. And it was the prodigal <laughs> son because he was really upset. And I think at times he gets upset because he, he is a good kid at heart and he's five and, and he sometimes I think takes punishment as like, again, a thing that I recognize from my childhood where, um, you, there's, there's this like focus on sin and condemnation basically within the Catholic church, or at least the version we got mm -hmm. where, um, you can feel very guilty if you've done something quote unquote wrong. Yes. And it can be really sort of emotionally difficult as a kid to go, well, how do I repair this? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of focus on guilt and sin and stuff that I frankly, on some level still see in operation in my family in various ways that I was like, Ooh, I wish, I wish we didn't get that message as kids. Cause it seems like it's causing trouble with, with us as adults. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, I wanted my son to realize like, Hey, just like your parents will always love you. And the prodigal son's mm -hmm. a great story for that. <laughs> Um, totally, you know, I modified some of what it said and not, not just to make it more understandable to him. Um, yeah. you know, because there's words like he, when he hears the word God, he's just like, I have no idea what that is or <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> it's not a concept that's familiar to me at all. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah, but, uh, 
you know, I, I, it, it's, it's a, a thing you figure out with your, with your partner. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I think every parent, um, uh, my, my brother who is uh, still very much, you know, um, not necessarily a part of the community, but is really super Catholic. Um, I think he's still, you know, would tell you, at least tell, seems to tell me like that's, it, it's a never ending journey to figure out how to communicate with your kids and how to point them in the right direction yeah. for where you want to point them. And, um, I, you know, I think that's just a universal challenge for adults, no matter what your sort of support system is there for parents, no matter what your support system is. So. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense that it would be a struggle to figure out that, um, those lessons that were just kind of wrapped in with community and Catholicism of, like you said, even just sitting still and listening, being in one place for a while, even now, like kids don't even necessarily get that with school because a lot of it's virtual or, you know, all kinds of crazy. But um, yeah, earlier this year, yeah. I, I thought like, uh, you know, he needs something like mass, uh, like 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 a, a chance to sit and quiet, <laughs> yeah. sit and be quiet and do something along the lines of meditation. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can't get mm-hmm. him. Everyone in L.A. hikes. I live in L.A. Everyone hikes mm-hmm. all the time. I can't get him to hike currently you know i'm working on that <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah uh so i was like mm, i wonder if i could like take him to like a buddhist temple and this oh, is yeah. thoroughly just like a dumb dumb 38 year old white guy who doesn't actually know a lot about buddhism thinking that and saying mm-hmm. that and then i was like okay let me see and then i go online and i you know look at a couple of the ones that are in the area and then okay well let me just make sure what's the this religion all about and then i start reading and i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> There might be stuff in here that's good, but like, there's a lot in here that we don't, we don't need. We're good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But it does, it does make, it does leave you going like, yeah, what do I replace this with? Mm-hmm. But I think, mm-hmm. again, I just don't know that there's a version of being a parent where you're not asking some version of that question. So Totally. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Ugh, I feel like I want to be like, but it's okay. <laughs> right. I, know, I, know. I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah. It kind of is. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing well now mm-hmm. and that's good. It kind of is. You know, it's like we have a function. Yeah. When my when my second son was born a year ago, my parents came and stayed with us for a month. And it was it oh, was wow. lovely in a lot of ways. And we were very grateful to have their support. And um, there's a lot about what our relationship now is that's that's good and headed and in a good direction. Again, I just wish there was not this kind of layer of stuff that's like, mm-hmm. you know, totally. shut away in a closet that right. we will never speak about. And, you know, yeah. again, it's probably common in families at this point, but like political differences and things that where you just mm-hmm. somebody says a thing and you just have to learn to like more or less shut your mouth in terms of how you yeah. feel about it. Because you just go, ah, I got 72 hours with this person. If they're going to say they'd like to see Nancy Pelosi die in a fiery wreck, not something my father said. <laughs> Just since we're talking about him a lot, I don't want to like add to the right. pile. But like, you just go like, oh, you know, yeah. I just am gonna, yeah. I don't know, navigate out of this because I just, I'd rather enjoy these seven two hours than mm-hmm. be like, I don't like her, but for different reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Just, I just want to eat my taco. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And smile. And spend time the, with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I think like we were saying, unless there's a good reason to believe those conversations will be productive for one or both people, mm-hmm. it's okay to just not have them. Yeah. Like it yes. we need to not be so hard on ourselves about like 
am I just enabling this? Am I complicit all the time? Because sometimes it's more productive to work on like building a relationship and trust with that person so that maybe someday you do get to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. I think especially within families, like love is love should be the ultimate, right? Like we, we don't want to push our families away for any reason. And, um, and like you said, like once you push them out of your lives or put up too many walls, you lose your ability to influence them to the extent that you would like to, or mm-hmm. that you feel like you may need to in various ways. So I definitely do not, you know, so that's, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a balance and you, you know, try to navigate it, I guess that's all. And, and you know, it's, you know, even in, in friendships, there's some degree of that. Right. But I feel like mm-hmm. families, especially like you just always want to be connected to your parents and, you know, uh, them vice versa, I'm sure. And um, so mm-hmm. you try to try to not let these things get in the way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank so. you for sharing that. I know that a lot of people will probably take a lot of comfort just knowing that you have similar experiences. You know, that's something we hear a lot is like, it's just helpful to have these conversations and know that you're not alone in the yeah. the process of, of loving your family despite differences. And so thank you for, for sharing your story. Yeah. And I hope it's, I hope your podcast is like a warning, uh, mm-hmm. like a, do- a documentation <laughs> of what happened and then, and, and mm-hmm. the, and where things like this and this specifically, um, do damage. And then, you know, a, a, a warning <laughs> to people yeah. to say like, be careful. I, I, it's funny to me. I feel like I'm very distrusting of groups and I don't know what is, what part of that is like my natural just disposition as a personality and mm-hmm. I do think some significant percentage of it is my experience in the community yeah. where I just don't, I don't, when there's a group of people that think something, I sort of immediately go, well, why do they think that they must be wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I do the same thing. <laughs> I, I don't think it's any accident that I, you know, have been an, an independent artist for most of my career and only in recent years have gone, Hey, it's nice to work with other people. They have ideas too. <laughs> and you can learn from them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but like, I don't, I, I, you know, group exercise classes, I hate group religion. I, I <laughs> don't like, um, you know, it's so, I, and I think a lot of that is remnant of, of going through this and going, Hey, there's this big group and I don't agree with them. I have to shut up and not tell them. Otherwise I don't know what the repercussions are going to be, but they're going to be pretty severe if I let anyone know that I don't agree. So, and totally. I, that, that you were asking earlier, what do you, learn from this or what are you going to adapt with your kids? I want to have a more open and honest relationship with my kids. Mm-hmm. I want them to understand mm-hmm. that they can yeah. come to me with anything and that I won't go, that I won't like condemn their actions or that I'll say, uh, you know, hopefully more often I'll say, I understand why you feel that way. I understand what you did, what you did. Even if it was wrong, I kind of get, you know, where you're coming from. Let me try to help you with my, my perspective on that. And again, that piece of it too, like the understanding that it's my perspective. Like I have one uh, window on things and it's not, it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to be accurate a hundred percent of the time, but it's a window. This is what Mm -hmm. I, this is what I see and what you're going through. And please go talk to this other person that, that you trust or that I trust that maybe you will trust as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't want to, I don't want to put my kids in a position from an early age. Like I feel like I was where it was like, 
hey, uh, you've got to separate some things out and not tell your parents about them. Yeah. Um, I'd much yeah. rather it, you know, I, I, again, I think some of that is almost a given in parent child relationships, but I think you can work to counteract it. And I think you can yeah. work to try to make sure they always feel like the door is open. And I just still don't feel like the door is hundred percent open. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to change, change that as much as I can with my kids. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, a, that's also very helpful to hear. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Like that distinction between kind of like boundaries and walls mm-hmm. where it's like, we may have some parent child boundaries cause that's normal, but there's not a wall there. Yeah. Like you can come through if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not always going to agree with you, but I won't, but it'll be, I safe. won't tell you, I might not come to your wedding because I find out that you were living with your spouse before you got married. Right. I won't do th- things like that would probably be not on the list or I won't pay for your college. Yeah. If I find out you're not going to weekly mass, I just like things like that. that right. Just mm-hmm. go. Right. This is not setting up a good trusting relationship. Yeah. This is not mm-hmm, like, you're actually mm-hmm. encouraging me to go to mass. It's just encouraging me to lie about it. Mm-hmm. Encouraging so. a double life. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, that becomes toxic and that you, you get used to that in, in a fundamental relationship, like within your family. And then it's hard. It's hard to stop it. When yeah. Now you're at work or you're married and you're going, I'm pretty used to segmenting things mm-hmm. and having stuff I share and stuff I conceal. Oof. And mm-hmm. I could keep doing that because I'm real good at it. So, and it, but it's a problem, and you need to not, you know, it it creates issues. So, yeah. I yeah, yeah, I don't want I don't want to pass that on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair Let's enough. break that cycle. <laughs> that might be worse than spanking. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, it was really well, awesome talking. This was to you. wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast and thanks for doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for being our unofficial, official cult expert. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, please. (laughs) How to be a cult leader. Netflix 2024. I don't know. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. I'm excited to see it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Thank you to everybody who keeps listening too. Um, Please feel free to share on your social media uh rate review subscribe all that good stuff helps get the word out and do something nice for yourself and if you feel shitty do something nice for somebody else <laughs>